Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. Among the things that we can be sure of in life are taxes and death. The reality which many of us neglect to consider is that one day each of us will die. When that occurs, our possessions and property will have to be disposed of by our family in a lawful and efficient manner. Many people do not understand the continuing legal issues which our death can cause and the additional turmoil which our family might be required to endure. As a result, it is our responsibility to create a distribution plan for that property and our possessions which we leave behind. Remember, you cannot take it with you. And in too many instances, what, leave, what we leave behind can create unnecessary antagonisms, conflicts among our family members. In those situations where a person has not prepared a property distribution plan, the state of North Carolina, through its laws, mandates how the property is to be distributed. That statutory plan may not accurately reflect your wishes, but typically provides the legal framework which must be followed. The failure to follow this mandate can create unnecessary legal problems. Tonight, we will discuss the estate planning and administration process. At the conclusion, we hope that your understanding of this process will broaden and that you will make plans to prepare an estate plan for your property. So joining us to discuss this topic are attorneys Serena Williams, who's a partner in the CW Law Group and a business coach, and attorney Pamela Harrigan-Young, a tax law specialist and CPA. Both are experts and specializers in this area of the law. So we thank both of them for agreeing to take time out of their business schedule to join with us this evening. So welcome to our Legal Eagle Review Zoom studio. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here. Good, good. Well, it's good to be here. To start our conversation uh, this evening, will each of you take a few minutes to kind of talk about estate planning and your experience in the uh, administration of the state. So why don't we start with uh, attorney uh, Williams. And, and, and let me just say to our audience that this is biased uh, because she is a graduate of the North Carolina Central University School of Law, an alum who's done well and uh, is out in the world um, doing the service that lawyers are to provide to the community. So my bias leads me to allowing uh, Attorney Williams to start us off. 
with this discussion. Oh, thank you, Professor Joyner. I appreciate that. And um, just so the radio knows, all of our listeners, uh, Attorney Pamela Harrigan and Young uh, and I work together a lot. So we tag team. So uh, there oftentimes I go first and she goes first. So no hard feelings here. Um, my experience with uh, estate planning law and just interactions with the public in general has um, really been um, disheartening, uh, I would be the word I would use to describe it, um, in the community that I am in. And I am in Durham, North Carolina, and I service uh, the state of North Carolina. Um, but my very first experience was um, a person had passed and um, they were, did not have a will, did not have a power of attorney, did not have a health care power of attorney, did not have, uh, typically, if you don't have a will, you may not also have a trust. They did not have a trust. They did not have any estate planning documents. And um, the family walked in was not from North Carolina. This person who passed was the only person in North Carolina. And um, they needed someone to help with the state administration and figuring things out. And um, when you don't do your own documents, the state tells you what's going to happen with your assets, how you're going to pay your debts, um, who is going to inherit and all of those particular things. And they had a way they wanted it to go and it did not match the way that the state um, had planned for them and the way that it was going to now have to go. I, I would say that was my first encounter. And unfortunately, I've seen it over and over and over again in my experience over the last um, 12 to 13 years. Um, I think the other piece why I say disheartening is pre-COVID, I would get a lot of calls from people at the hospital who have known someone was ill or getting older or having more challenges and wanted me to come to the hospital because they didn't think they had long now and um, to do these documents. And that presents so many challenges um, that I know we'll get into the details of, you know, your state of mind, your age, and could they really make those decisions in that particular um, moment? And now in COVID or around to whatever we're in, whatever you want to call it, um, that's not a luxury anymore either um, because you can't go to the hospital. Hospitals are not allowing people in or are allowing only one person in, which is that loved one. And so people are not having those documents created. And certainly the last minute is not the time to create the documents. So that that has been the majority of my experiences. And uh, that's what prompted us to do some workshops and educate the community and hope that people would be better positioned to have their lifelong wishes carried out in the way which they want them to be. How about you, Pamela? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so from the estate administration side, um, and that's the part that 
you engage in after someone has already passed away tends to be much more complicated when estate planning hasn't been done while the person was alive. And so in my experience, you know, I work in both areas. And when I am sitting down talking with someone about getting their estate plan done, um, they have, you know, they have their plans, they understand what they want to do after I've talked with them. And then when I tell them the price, they're concerned <laughs> and they find it too expensive. So they're thinking, well, I don't think I want to do this. But then they don't understand what happens on the backside, which means in which case you end up paying twice, three times, five times more than you ever would have paid had you done the estate plan to begin with. So I try to explain to them that you know, there may be a benefit, there definitely is a benefit for going ahead and getting your estate plan completed because it will allow you to leave more of your um, assets to the next generation, to your heirs, to the people that you want to get it instead of to attorneys like attorney Williams and I. So, um, you know, my experience is that people do only what they have to do. And usually people come to me for estate planning if they've had a bad experience with a family member who passed and they had a difficult time going through estate administration for that person. And they thought, I don't want to go through, put my family through this, so let me get this done. Sometimes people are afraid. They're like, um, okay, we're going on vacation. We hope we'll get back. So maybe we need to do these documents right now. And lately, because of COVID, people have taken the time to think about death. So they have come to me to say, okay, this is a scary virus. We want to get our affairs in order. Um, typically, it's older people, um, not younger people. And so hopefully we'll talk about why young people need to get these um, documents done as well. But um that's, those are my experiences, and I try to emphasize the importance of uh, paying now, paying less now, than, rather than paying more later. Well, you know, for, uh, for African Americans, and I know also for uh, Latinos, uh, many of the families don't have a wealth of property. Uh, and uh, in many instances, uh, they aren't owners of uh, real estate. Uh, and uh, I know in, in my community, many of us operate under the uh, African-American estate distribution plan, uh, which uh, encompasses the first person to get to the house uh, after the death is the one who inherits uh, everything that they can find. And uh, since uh, no one knows uh, what it is that that person uh, had. There's this feeling that it will be uh, not. Uh, it will not be discovered. That you can then walk away with uh, uh, a gift, a free gift, uh, for uh, for the many years of toil and turmoil that you suffered uh, with that uh, that person. Uh, why isn't that enough? Uh, in those situations, 
where there isn't really any property of value based on our estimation to uh, to distribute and uh, no foul, no harm. I'll, I'll give a quick example and let uh, Pamela get uh, into the additional things. And I'll say um, my example comes from doing family law the first 10 years um, of my practice. And an estate plan also talks about who is going to have um, custody or guardianship of your child and um, guardianship of the child's estate, meaning the child's money that comes with them. And so um, that's huge because I think in uh, the, the space of people of color, be it African-American or Hispanic, we have children. We do have children and they are huge assets. And, um, you know, sometimes we have additional things, um, things in the house that uh, Aunt Nini put those uh sticky notes on of who she wanted them to go to, you know, uh, that once that she started thinking about it, she just wrote your name on it and you go pick it up and also pick up a few things that don't belong to you, as you said, Professor Joyner. But, you know, in the, in the realm of the space where you don't name who gets your child and um, your desire is truly not the other parent, um, you give that other person who you would like to be the guardian or custodian a leg to stand on in court for a custody hearing to continue to raise your child. And then you also, the, the parent could definitely get custody, but what if the parent's not good with money and you are leaving your child some money? And it, it may not be you know million, millions or billions, but you're leaving something that you think you know, they're going to need some access access to, and I don't want this just squandered on, you know, their 15th or 16th birthday party or things of that nature. I want this spent in a particular way. And so, you know, a, a, someone could have custody or guardianship of the child um, and be their parental figure, and someone else could control the money. So I'll leave with that example. And I know Pamela has more on documentation and the legality of if that works when we all go grab what we want from grandma's house. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, you know, in the estate administration process, the clerk of court oversees all of that to make sure that the persons who are the proper heirs are to receive the funds. So it can create problems when you have to go after the person who took everything and get it back. Um, and so, because you, they will have to turn it over or face criminal charges. <laughs> so, um, so it's set up, but it's set up to make sure that the assets pass to the legal heirs. Um, and sometimes people like to bypass, and there are things you can do to bypass the probate process. But um, if you have a situation like that, that's why it's important to have a will because that will will name a person who's the executor and that person should, at the moment the person passes away, go and safeguard all those assets, be they vast or small. 
to make sure they um, get to the next, the legal heirs. So. Um, well, let me just follow up uh, uh, with, with, with a question. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, there might be uh, criminal uh, charges. Uh, can you talk about what those criminal charges might be? And, 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 and as a uh, CPA, what are the tax consequences of inheriting or obtaining property uh, from, uh, from others uh, who have, uh, who have uh, deceased? Uh, and, and before we get, get to that, I, I, you know, we're going to have to take our, our first break uh, right now. So just give a, a couple of minutes of thought uh, to, uh, to your response. Uh, but for uh, our audience, we're going to take our break uh, right now. We uh, uh, want you to come back and join us as we continue our conversation dealing with estate planning and, uh, and administration. Our guests this evening are attorney uh, Serena Williams and uh, attorney Pamela Harrigan-Young, both experts in dealing with estate planning uh, matters. Uh, this is a very important topic uh, that uh, you should have an interest in. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Good evening. My name is Hannah Gaines, and I'm a current senior at North Carolina Central University, and this is your Community Event Spotlight. The event that we are highlighting is the Black Farmers Market. This event is going on now and doesn't end until December 12th. It's from 1.30 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the Golden Belt. This was a great opportunity to not only get local products, but also an amazing way to support Black-owned businesses. You can learn more about this event by visiting www.durhamcommunityengagement.org events. Thank you for uh, staying with us. We're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. And uh, we're discussing estate planning and administration with uh, attorney Pamela Harrigan-Young and attorney Serena Williams. Uh, both of them uh, have uh, a very involved process in dealing with estate planning and, uh, and administration uh, matters. And uh, so we're bringing to you their expertise to uh, help you to understand the importance of uh, planning uh, your uh, uh, estate uh, distribution. Uh, when we uh, took our break, uh, we raised the question with, uh, with Attorney Harrigan-Young uh, about uh, criminal uh, charges that might possibly arise as a result of people uh, not uh, following and uh, a, a prescribed estate planning process or following the uh, state method of distribution, and then uh, questions regarding the uh, tax consequences of your picking up items that, uh, that, that's left by a person who's been uh, deceased. So, uh, Attorney Arrigan Young, get, get back to you. Yes, thank you. So, let me just give a disclaimer because I do not practice criminal law, so I'm not going to delve into that <laughs> area. However, um, when people take from the estate that are not supposed to receive from the estate, then 
the other beneficiaries have the right to sue, you know, to, to, um, you know, go get an attorney, get representation and say that I need to um, recover. And so it will be determined by the heirs, the proper heirs, whether they want to go after the person. So I want to make, sh- make sure it's clear that the state is not going to come after you. It will have to be the heirs that knew that you took something from them. And so they will have to take the action to um, press charges. Also, that reminds me of when you have the durable financial power of attorney. That's another area that can create criminal charges. If you have a relative or someone that you've named as your agent, your financial agent, and they take liberties with your finances while you're still alive, um, those finances sometimes are very hard to recover. If you can recover them, that's wonderful. But if not, then the recourse is again to press charges. But now you're talking about family pressing charges against family, which creates a a dynamic that most people don't want to deal with, especially when it's a child who's taken from a parent, an elderly parent, and the parent says, well, I'm not gonna press charges against my child. So all of that said, you wanna make sure that you have the right documents in place and that you let people know what your intentions are so that these kinds of things can be avoided um, and you think clearly about who you wanna select um, in these important roles so that um, they don't take off with all of your your money, (laughs) your assets. Now, as far as the tax consequences are concerned, there are many. Um, um, and that's probably a topic for another discussion. However, um, one of the things that I like to suggest is that when you have real property, especially a home, because typically people's largest assets are their homes or their 401k plans, their retirement plans. And um, you want to leave those, at least the home in your will rather than gift it to your children while you're alive. Because a lot of people think about that. Well, maybe I'll just give my property away now. And with real property, especially a home, you um, when you transfer that property at um, during life, the person gets the basis. Now, basis is a is a you know technical term. What it means is what you paid for it whatever you paid for the house, that's what they are going to be considered to be receiving. So let's say you have, um, you paid $100,000 for your house. If you give it to your child while you're alive, that child has a $100,000 house. However, let's say it's worth $350,000. So when, if you give it to that child while you're alive and that child sells it, then they're gonna have a gain of the 350,000 that it's worth minus the 100,000 that they that you paid for. It. And they're gonna have to pay taxes on a $250,000 gain. Versus if you kept the house until you passed away and then gave it to your child at death, the child gets the house at the $350,000 value. So then if they decide to sell it, there's no gain and there's no tax. So that's very, very important for people to understand that's one tax 
consequence. Um, there are others when you open an estate. Um, the estate becomes a separate entity at the moment of death. Um, the person has to file a final tax return um, if they were filing taxes, and then their estate may have to file a tax return if the assets in that estate earn more than $600. And you want to be careful because there are certain items you don't want to have coming into the estate to pay taxes on. I have an estate that I've been working on where unfortunately um, the decedent named his estate as the beneficiary of his 401k plan, which was about half a million dollars. And you should never, ever, ever name your estate as the beneficiary of anything um, because that money will have to go through the estate process when it would never have had to go through the estate process to begin with. And not only will you have to pay the fees to the clerk of court for that being an asset in your estate, but you will also have to pay taxes on it. And so this this gentleman who died had a half a million dollar um, 401k that went into his estate and the estate taxes on that um, were vast. So he ended up having to pay about $200,000 in taxes on that half a million dollars, where that would not have been the case had it not been, had he named a specific beneficiary. And so there's more I could go into, but it's, it's, it's all intertwined. So it's very important to understand the tax implications of some of the things that you're doing because unfortunately this gentleman was trying to um, bypass um, leaving it to a certain person. And so he thought if he put it in his estate, he had you know, accomplished his goal and didn't realize the um, tax effects, the tax consequences that that was gonna have. So attorney Harrigan Young, just based on your discussion, um, and, and both you and Attorney Williams, this is a complex area. And, you know, we can certainly understand why it is that um, folks may shy away from it because of the complexity. Uh, we've got, both of you have mentioned wills, power of attorney, uh, durable financial power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, trust, um, really complex. And I know even lawyers, actually, who have not set up estate plans or and doctors, I mean, professionals who have more information about um, estate planning and the importance of it. And it can be overwhelming, even for those of us that know how important it is. Let's um, kind of step back just a little bit. And can you talk about why it's so important to to have a will, which you've already kind of expressed, but the basics, like kind of estate planning 101. Uh, how, how should people think about the kind of layers of estate planning? And, and let's start with the, the most basic, I would assume, which is um, the will. And, and Attorney Williams, if, if you can go ahead and share um, your thoughts on that. Sure, sure. Um, and, and I'm going to just give a little bit more information because Pamela and I do um, workshops on this and we actually have an on-demand workshop that is an hour and a half plus 15 minutes of questions to try to not only walk people through this, 
but give them resources afterwards to begin to get them thinking. So this is not a quick wham, bam, thank you, ma'am appointment. This is not that. Um, This is really introspective. And I love that you said, let's start with what we think is the simplest, which is a will. And, you know, and that begs the question of what is it that you need right now, right? Um, I I would tell you most people, um, April, start off with, uh, a power of attorney um, at 18, uh, especially people whose parents are still making their decisions, paying their bills, want to see things, especially with HIPAA and everything coming out. Um, power of attorneys have been increasingly um, very popular. They're one or two pages, and it's kind of one question. Who do you want to be able to do these things or make these decisions for you? And if you're still in that coming out of um teenagerism entering into adulthood and I still want my mom to be able to see my bills and pay my bills or my dad or whoever that is. Um, I would say logistically in my head, that's the simplest Um, because a will has many, many parts. And so um, the will, you know, you have to do an inventory yourself before you put the will together and thinking about what do I have? Um, And so have being um, assets, have being debt, um, have being um, retirement accounts uh, that are assets, life insurance accounts. So we go through what are assets. So it's not just property. Oftentimes people have um, stocks and bonds that they haven't put beneficiaries on. Um, If you don't have a beneficiary on your life insurance or it proves to be the wrong person, that comes into your will. We have, I have a similar thing with Pamela. I I have somebody who dropped a million dollars in the, in the estate because the life insurance was wrong. So when we think about that, we literally give people a questionnaire. It's not a one page questionnaire because there's so much to think about. Um, It is really saying, one, who do you want to receive from you? Okay. If if somebody's going to receive from you, who would you have that be? And that might be multiple people. It could be one person. It really depends on the person. Um, and it gives that person control um, because I think we all know in our complexity of families, sometimes we've given one person everything we had to give during our lifetime and we don't want to give them anything else. We want to give it to other people who we have not given, and you get to have that say in the creation of these documents. Um, you get to say, I want to be able to spend more on my funeral arrangements or my headstone than what the state allows in your uh, will. You get to say uh, custody. You get to say um, if you have a trust name somewhere or not and, and reference those things, then you know that alluded a little bit also to Pamela's whole nother class on taxes of what kind of comes into this estate gets taxed no matter what, just because that's how that works in probate. But if it's in a trust, um, what's protected? And, you know, you're thinking about these things because oftentimes if you have a house with a mortgage on it and you want to leave it to your 25-year-old child, who you know can't pay that mortgage, 
then we sit down with you and talk about like, do you have life insurance that's going to kick in and pay the mortgage? So now the child can keep the house. And, you know, do you have something that's going to fund for them to have the upkeep on the house if they don't have those means? Or would they be better off selling the house and receiving the, the proceeds from the house? So I think it, it becomes one of those, April, we break it down as much as possible, but we can't make it less complex than what it is. And it's why we ask people to, to come see us and sit down with us and let us um, go through how many children do you have? And, and we mean how many children do you have, not how many children do you count that you have because they can challenge, right? That, that little pop-up child can come out of nowhere and challenge the whole process um, because they belong to you, whether you claim them or not. And so we start there and go through everything to help make that decision and to get it on paper and to help you process um, tax consequences and liabilities or the ability to keep or um the ability not to keep or what is it that you, are you providing immediate needs at death or are you trying to provide needs over a period of time? Because that we, we outline that and draft those documents differently. So it is one of those where we say you do need an attorney through this process to help you. And then you need just a check-in like with your doctor, has anything changed each year? You know, did, someone that you were planning to leave something something to pass or um, are they no longer a, someone you want to provide something to? Um, you know, have they violated uh, something where your ethics or principles have changed in the way you think? Or, you know, have your needs changed? Did you spend the money because you had a medical procedure and you needed to be taken care of? So, you know, those are some of the things that I think about when I think about the will, and it's why I say the power of attorney is probably the most simplistic. Yeah. And on the power of attorney. So I, I, yeah, appreciate you mentioning, you know, 18 year olds. Um, When my children left, they were both going out of the country. I was like, oh, we need to, you know, power of attorney. Um, And one of the things that we had to talk about was their, computers and their passwords and being able to access their digital information. Um, Attorney Harrigan-Young, can you talk a little bit about why it's so important that young or, or really anyone have power of attorney and exactly what that looks like and why when we're thinking about um, giving people access to our information, digital information has even further complicated this issue? Yes. Yes, it has. Yes. So um, the durable financial power of attorney and the healthcare power of attorney are critical for anyone um, 18 years of age or older, because as Serena mentioned um, about the durable financial power of attorney, if if children want their parents to still pay bills for them, like their cell phone bills and all of those types of digital assets, then their parents need to be able to um, have that authority to do that. But also on the healthcare side, um, now that they've reached the age of majority, if they um, get injured 
you know, at a party or in, in, you know, just playing sports at school then or at college, then the parent may not be able to get information on the child. Um, And so it's very, very critical that the parents have the power of attorney for healthcare um, and the HIPAA authorization so that they can get information on their child because they've reached the age of majority. And unless they give permission, no one needs to see their records. So, um, and no one else can make a decision for them. So, um, therefore, it's important to have this, these two documents, especially um, if 18-year-olds have nothing else, they at least need to have these, these two power of attorney documents. Um, and then as far as the will is concerned, That's important, as Serena mentioned, because if you have minor children, not only um, do you need to name a guardian for who will take care of those minor children, if, God forbid, the father and mother pass in a common accident at the same time, then you also have the issue where you don't want to leave assets to a minor. So not only worrying about who's going to take care of the minor, but you don't want to leave assets to a minor. And if you don't have a will, the, the hierarchy is that if there's no surviving spouse, things, everything goes to the children. So if the children are minors, if the parents die at the same time and the children are minors, then you have the issue of guardianship. A guardian has to be appointed in the courts. And now whoever is taking care of those children will have to file annual reports saying how the money that those children received because a child cannot inherit so that their money will be managed or it it can be managed by the person who's caring for them, but they will have to account to the clerk's office every year until that child reaches 18 on what is happening with that money, how it has increased or decreased and why and what it was spent on. And there are fees associated with that as that money grows and as reports are filed. So if nothing else, you need a will so that you make sure that money is not left or assets are not left directly to a minor. Um, And so that your assets pass to who you want them to pass to. So um, these are all, we can go into so much more detail and I I don't want to take up the time if you don't want me to go into more detail, but I certainly can. It's just very, very critical. These documents are not simple, but they are critical and basic to have. They're basic documents that you need to have. And um, we need to talk with our clients about the intricacies of the documents based on their specific situation. All right. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking this hour about the critical need for estate planning. We have with us here in our Zoom studio, attorney Serena Williams, a partner with the CW Law Group and business coach, and attorney Pamela Harrigan-Young, a tax law specialist and CPA. We're going to have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. We hope you stay with us.
Good evening. My name is Reginald Woods II, and I am a current 2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And I would like to personally thank you for supporting and listening to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking show that is made possible by the Virtual Justice Project of the North Carolina Central University School of Law, as well as listeners like yourself. For more information regarding the show, or past episodes, or the latest happenings surrounding our host, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Legal Eagle Review. Again, my name is Reginald Wist II, and thank you for listening. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking this hour with our fabulous guest about the critical need for estate planning. We have with us here in our Zoom studio, attorney Pamela Harrigan-Young. She is an estate planning and tax law specialist and CPA, and attorney Serena Williams with the Serena Williams Legal Services, and she is also a business coach. So we've been talking about the complexity of estate planning. It's it's incredibly challenging for people to do it themselves as we are, are getting a grasp on, as you all are talking about all the different documents and all of the different considerations. Um, Attorney Harrigan-Young, I wanted to to go back to something that you had talked about before, which is you are mentioning, you had mentioned an estate that you're working on right now, and the decedent, the person who passed away, had his life insurance as the beneficiary or the estate was the beneficiary of the life insurance. Can you, and and Attorney Williams going to get you in here as well, talk about the importance of, well, first of all, what is a trust and why is it important that people consider having a trust, especially when they're thinking about um, naming a beneficiary of their, say, life insurance or um, retirement funds? And uh, Attorney Williams, let's start with you. Okay, I'll I'll try to be brief because Pamela has all the great details of the additional tax pieces um, on that. Um, I, I would say, first of all, anyone listening, check your life insurance, right? Check your beneficiaries. The biggest mistake that people make is they name it when they buy it and they never check it again. And that's usually their own personal life insurance, but especially their employee benefit. If their employer provides a life insurance policy, they usually don't see that document again. They saw it the day they did orientation. And whoever that is, you may or may not want them to still be the person because life changes. Um, But it's extremely important if your goal, hopefully, is to pass the money on to someone and not to give the the state so much money. Um, in my particular situation, um, the estate had a, excuse me, the decedent had a life insurance policy. The life insurance policy had a wrong beneficiary because it has not had not been changed since 1987. Um, and they recently died. And 
it just did not exist, the things that they were trying to have it do. We had to go to federal court, and um, this is a million-dollar policy. We spent uh, $80,000 with federal lawyers to have that, so that money's gone. Um, and then now it comes into the estate, and it goes to the heirs because it falls into the residuary or the overflow account, and goes to all the heirs, which is not at all what the decedent wanted, um, in an equal manner after you pay your taxes, uh, the you know the filing fee tax that you pay in the county on the dollars that come into the estate, and then file your taxes now for your estate because it has income of this million dollars. So um, we have not finished my much like uh, Pamela has not finished hers. Uh, the other thing is it keeps your estate open. So we're now on year three of an estate. So people can't grieve during that time um, because it's a continuous opening of the wound every time this happens. Um, and we have no clue how much people will actually receive once we finish paying on all of that. Um, so it, it, it definitely helps to put it somewhere else. And a trust is a document, one that's not public. Your estate um, probate documents are public. They're filed at the courthouse. Anybody can go down and receive a copy of it. A trust is private. Um, a trust provides some tax coverings. And like I said, I won't get into that those details. And a trust can be allocated in a particular manner. So um, I like to think of like when we think of Silver Spoon or Richie Rich from back in the day when they were going to receive, you know, X number of dollars at 18, X number of dollars at 25, X number of dollars if you went to college, X number of dollars if you opened a business. So you can begin to um, kind of still have strings from the grave, if you will, and still have some control of how people receive and when they receive. And, and that's extremely important because Receiving a million dollars at 18 or 25 and sometimes 35, um, they won't have it more than six months, maybe a year sometimes. Um, and, and that might not have been that person's intent. So they get to actually speak to the intent in the trust and have um, certain qualifications met. Okay. And so um, when we talk about trust, uh, there are many, many different kinds, two broad categories. Um, the first being revocable trust, and then the second being irrevocable trust. And the names indicate um, their function. When you have a revocable trust, you can change it. So you, you create trust during your lifetime, um, unless you have a trust in a will, which is a testamentary trust, which create is created at death. But otherwise, the revocable trust is created at, at, during life, and you can change it at any time up till the point of your death. An irrevocable trust is also created during life and cannot be changed. And so just um, as far as tax consequences go, irrevocable trusts are more common when you're trying to achieve tax goals. Um, Revocable trusts do not save you tax consequences because revocable trusts are considered as if you are the person that owns the assets inside the trust. So you get all the tax consequences, the trust and you are a mirror of each other. 
the irrevocable trust is when you actually give up control of the asset. Therefore, it's its own separate entity apart from the individual who created it. And um, that's why you get the tax benefits. Um, so to get the tax benefits, you lose control. But the revocable trust has a lot of benefits um, other than tax benefits because it protects the beneficiaries of the trust. So when you create a trust, um, then you say, okay, I'm going to create this trust. It's like a basket. I have the document. Now I have to put things into this basket. And when I put things in there, they are still mine. I still use them like my stocks and bonds, my bank accounts, my land, whatever, my house, whatever I want to do, it's still mine. But now it's owned by my trust instead of me outright. So it doesn't protect me, but when I die, it protects the people that are the beneficiaries of that trust. And so what that does is it allows them to receive those assets in trust and it protects them from their creditors. So if they have, let's say, you know, um, parent leaves something to a child who's a doctor and they um, have malpractice insurance, but they still get sued and the malpractice insurance doesn't cover the, the entire amount of the judgment, their assets and their trust cannot be accessed to pay for that judgment. Or if a child causes an accident, um, a car accident, and there's a judgment, the, the assets in that trust cannot be used to pay that judgment. Or if you have a child whose spouse divorces them, and then that spouse is looking for equitable distribution or half of the assets, the trust assets cannot be accessed to um, meet that equitable distribution standard. So it protects the beneficiaries from creditors um, now only to the extent that those assets are in the trust. When they start taking assets out of the trust to use the, those funds, then they're accessible to their creditors. But that's why if you have a chunk of, of, of money, you want to leave it in trust because then the child can take it out or the beneficiary can take it out um, in smaller increments so that the bulk of the assets that they received remain protected. Well, let me just, just ask, you know, you, you're talking about the, the, the trust. We talked about a uh, uh, health care uh, directives and a number of other documents, a lot of people are concerned that once they have uh, executed these documents that they uh, they can't be changed. And uh, we have a lot of trust problems uh, with people and that trust goes up and down. Uh, it's high on Monday and then down on Friday. Uh, so uh, with respect to the executing of a will or the executing of a guardianship or power of attorney or the development of, of, of a trust, can the person change it uh, if they uh, change their mind uh, later for whatever reason or the uh, conditions change such that the person that uh, we've named are no longer available uh, to, uh, to, to satisfy what our original uh, wishes and intentions were? Yes, so um, it depends, but most times 
these documents can be changed. A will can be changed. A uh, healthcare power of attorney can be changed. A, a durable power of attorney can be changed. And a revocable trust can be changed. The main one that cannot be changed is the irrevocable trust. And of course, um, where there's a rule, there's always an exception. So there is a way to change an irrevocable trust as well. It's expensive and complicated and may involve um, the courts, but it can be done. It's just not, um, not ideal. It's not a simple process, but the other documents can definitely be changed up until the point of death. Um, if you create these documents, obviously they can't be changed after you pass away, but up until that very point, in fact, on your deathbed, you can tear up your will if you want to. <laughs> so it's, um, yes, these documents can definitely be, be changed. They're not bound by what you put in them. And, and they should be reviewed to that point. Can they be changed? Um, you don't want the situation that I just described where somebody did something and made a decision in 1987. And certainly things changed from 87 to 2015, 16, 2021. Um, things change. And so you should review those documents. Um, I, I say you should get a legal checkup just like you get a medical checkup. We should go to our doctors once a year just to make sure everything's good, nothing's changed. We don't have new diagnosis. You should get a legal checkup the same. Everything's good. I'm still married. I'm not married. I had children that maybe children passed, maybe parents passed and I was going to leave something to them. Things, our life is not stagnant. And so these aren't stagnant documents. They're living documents and, and should be reviewed. So uh, without a doubt, you know, we have folks who are listening to this um, as it is being uh, played on WNCU. There are folks that are listening to this on the podcast and without a doubt, people are thinking more about estate planning, but there's so much to digest. Um, where would you suggest folks start in, in getting information about the first step? Because as you all, all are describing the process, um, you know, it's not something that can be done in a day, right? This is gonna, this is gonna require, um, involvement over an extended period of time, right? So what would you advise be the first step that someone takes when they are, you know, at the point of, yes, I need to address this. And we've got about, about two minutes. So I'm going to have you all give your, your um, real quick tip. The first thing I would suggest is that they think about the assets they have and who they want to leave them to and who are the responsible people for instance, the person that's going to be the executor, can they handle the responsibility? It's a lot. It can take a year or more to administer an estate. Um, think about your financial power of attorney. I always say make sure you, you select an agent who has money of their own and they don't need yours. When you have a health care power of attorney, that agent needs to be a person that um, can make decisions under pressure and won't fall apart so if you have a very sensitive child or relative who says, I just can't pull the plug, I don't want to make that decision, then um, don't name them. Um, and so you want to think about these people if you're going to have a trust and you need to have a trustee. 
then you need to think about the people who can be responsible to make these decisions. So as you're thinking about what you have, also think about who can help manage these assets and um, who can fill these positions um, that need to be filled for these documents that you're going to prepare. Attorney Williams? Can I say ditto? No, <laughs> ditto um, to everything that um, attorney Pamela Harrigan Young said. And, you know, we we offer workshops on these. We offer talks on these. But we also, um, you know, even if you're thinking about doing it, ask, um, you know, your attorney for the intake form. I think that will give you everything you need to go through that Pamela has just talked about and stated um, in a document that you can mull over and think about and not feel like you have to complete this in 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Um, and um, most, most attorneys willingly give their intake form uh, to you for you to do that. And then really want it completed to the best of your ability and also, as you prepare to meet with an attorney for estate planning, not only think about what you want, but what questions might you have or what obstacles are you trying to avoid so that you really inform your attorney of everything that's going on so that we create the best plan for you at the time. All right. Well, we are out of time, but we want to thank our guests, attorney Serena Williams with the Serena Williams Legal Services and also a business coach and attorney Pamela Harrigan-Young, an estate planning and tax law specialist and CPA. We're going to have to have you back on the show because there's still so much more that we want to share with our audience. Um, and you can find them both online. And so they are great resources available to you. And so we encourage you to reach out to them or any attorney of your choice. But this is vitally important and we need to make sure that um, we're, we're protected, that our, our heirs are protected and that we have these very important documents in place. We'd of course like to thank you for spending your Sunday evening with us and listening to the Legal Eagle Review Show. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or if there's a topic you'd like for us to cover, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.